This is the Pro-AV Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on market scale. Nowadays, we put a lot of AV on the ones and zeros. They want more features, but they want to see less hardware. Welcome to the Pro-AV Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B and welcome to another episode of our podcast. When it comes to the audio side of AV on this podcast, we're not too often talking about how smart devices are making things more difficult. Typically, it's how they're improving things. Most smart technology in audio is seen as a large feat. Take digitally steerable speakers, for instance, changing the live venue experience for concert goers, riggers, and AV network operators alike. But when it comes to testing smart devices for their performance and capabilities, it's not quite as easy. Here to break down why is Daniel Knighton, VP of Product Development for Audio Precision. Great to have you on, Daniel. Always a pleasure to be chatting with another Dan. Yeah, thanks, Dan. I feel like soon I'm going to need to do a podcast with all the Daniels I've interviewed and call it the Dan Clan or something. That would be fun. Or maybe well, we'd you, have to have some contest of to establish who can continue to be called Dan. <laughs> Only one will live. <laughs> <Who>? <laughs> I love it. Okay, so Daniel, you've been in audio testing for 19 plus years. And smart tech, really the idea of the Internet of Things, began right around then, coincidentally. Um, though the smart that your average consumer has thought of, I think has really only been around for five or so years. So what has changed dramatically about the audio devices in that more modern version of smart tech? And what is making them a little more difficult to test? So the, the thing that's changed... Uh, most dramatically in that period of time is at at the top level, almost above the technology itself, is that smart from my perspective, from the perspective of anybody who's involved in audio, has translated into adding a speaker and a microphone to every device under the sun. Um, so uh, it's no joke. There are smart toilets. So there are toilets now <laughs> that have speakers and microphones embedded in them. Um, actually, toilets, high-end toilets from Japan have been able to play back sounds for a while now. So adding the microphone side of things is relatively recent. Uh, and so the biggest impact there is now we have people coming out of the woodwork who have never, ever dealt with audio devices before, people who design refrigerators, who are asking us questions about, well, how do they evaluate the audio quality of their refrigerator? Right. So that that's at, at this level, you know, where we're not even really talking about the audio signal itself. The next thing down that's been very dramatic is that for most of the history of audio reproduction technologies, an audio device has been a filter or a transducer. And by that, I mean that a, a microphone or a speaker is a transducer. It either takes air pressure and converts it to voltage, or it takes a voltage and converts it to an air pressure. 
Uh, a power amplifier is a kind of filter. It has gain and it has these other functions, but fundamentally we've been dealing with devices where there's an input and there's an output. And traditional audio measurement has been, we're gonna put a known signal, a very pure sine wave has been the benchmark into the input of our audio device. And we're gonna examine the output and knowing the signal we put in will deduce some some properties of the device and you know from there we can establish the frequency response of the device we can establish the distortion of the device so the next thing that's happened with smart devices is uh, i call them audio roach motels <laughs> because what happens is is we uh, generate a test signal Say we play back a sine wave acoustically because we're trying to measure the sensitivity of the microphone embedded in a smart device, but no audio emerges. Um, the audio signals we stimulate a smart device with go into the quote-unquote cloud. They, they disappear uh, into this amorphous blob in the sky that we don't really have uh, ready access to. In fact, for some, like for example, Apple has simply stated categorically that they will never provide the audio that's recorded by a HomePod. On the other side, on the playback side, the speaker side, you know, we have this idea of a smart speaker. That's probably where it all began with the Amazon Echo. And there you think, okay, great. So it's a speaker. So can I measure the frequency response of the speaker? Can I measure its distortion, its directivity? Can I measure all these very classic parameters that we've been talking about for speakers? And speakers were actually one of the very first devices that people ever said, you know, I'm talking about going back to say the 1920s, where people were, were like, well, how do we measure a speaker? And, and now the answer is, well, there's no input, you know, uh, and, and, Amazon Echo, a modern Echo, a um, HomePod, uh, Sonos One, none of these devices have a pair of terminals that you can just hook into to inject a voltage signal and measure the acoustic output. So um, there's this fundamental break where a very fundamental part of how we did audio measurement has broken. We don't have easy access to inject a test signal into the device under test or to extract a test signal. And then the, 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 the third major challenge is the smart part is, you know, we often associate that with the fact that typically smart means it has some type of, of voice activation component. But a very real part of it is all these devices have active signal processing. Um, I'll pick on the HomePod again. Uh, the HomePod, one of its fancy features is it actually acoustically senses its environment and dynamically adjusts its frequency response to give you the, the best musical experience it can in the particular environment it senses. And literally, if you physically pick up a HomePod, it has accelerometers in it and can actually detect when you move it, uh, its frequency response will be different. You can, you can pick it up, move it to a, a new position, 
and it will say, oh, I, I've been moved. And uh, it will actually change because that process by which it detects its acoustic environment uh, takes some time. It's an adaptive algorithm. So there are all these very fundamental ideas we have around how we characterize audio devices, which are really shattered by smart devices. They sort of break all the conventions we've come to assume about how we measure something. Right, which must be pretty stressful to the professionals in the industry um, because this isn't a market that is slowing down its production anytime soon. I mean, if anything, it's only increasing. I, I know I read a statistic somewhere that was something like 90% of Americans now have some kind of smart device in their home or voice-activated device in their home from a dot to a toilet, right? So it, it must be a challenge, that's for sure. Um, and it doesn't help that some of these products that you mentioned, the audio side of them, though cool, isn't the main function of the product, right? When you have a microphone and a speaker in your fridge, they help the experience, but the core function of the fridge is to refrigerate your food. So testing for those devices inside the larger device, I mean, you can kind of assume that the manufacturing that went behind them, you know, they, they weren't totally putting the tester's ease uh, you know, at heart when they were creating the product. It's just, there's a disconnect there. There is, and that's that's really it's a story that's kind of told over and over again um, with the transition to any new technology is typically, um, you, you might have heard the term design for manufacturability. That's kind of one one level up, which is when the product's designed, is it designed in such a way that it's going to be easy for the people who actually have to build it to put it together? Um, and there's certainly the same dynamic with, hey, uh, smart devices are great in all kinds of ways, but do they have hooks in some way, shape, or form so that you can test them? And that, and the frustration there. What's, what's kind of interesting about it from my perspective is um, these companies that make smart devices uh, are our customers. And in many cases, we have the companies themselves coming to us looking for, hey, how can we overcome this chess challenge that our company created right. for itself? Um, and I'm sort of like, ah, geez, uh, you guys could have made your lives a whole <laughs> lot easier with with a few things here and there. But but yeah, it's it's absolutely um, a major point of frustration for parties, both within these companies, because the reality of the matter is part of how that happens is typically design engineering and validation and manufacturing. These are all typically sort of vertically integrated groups inside of most companies. So typically, of course, it's the validation teams that are approaching us saying how can you help us figure out how to test this thing, even though 
uh, the design engineers who created it are a few cubes away. Well, you're, you're, you're making it sound like there's a pretty consistent conversation between companies like yours and the actual producers and designers of these products. Do you feel like the testing side of the industry is having a tangible effect on the products themselves, that feedback or that consistent conversation? Do you really feel like it's affecting the end product for the better? Absolutely. You see a kind of adoption and and trade-off cycle that we've seen before. Um, you know, we went through as a as a company and to some extent personally, um, analog cassette or analog LP to CD to MP3 to online streaming. Um, and what I've seen myself over and over again is in the lead into a new technology, people are overwhelmed by the value of the convenience. It's I'll I'll say this as a as a as a user, it's really actually great to be able to just speak to the air and say, you know, hey, please play me some ACDC, and suddenly ACDC starts coming out of your speakers. That's that's very that's wonderful. Now that that market has started to mature, now that we have a few different companies playing in that space, and I think you very much see it with. Sonos arriving in that space, Apple arriving in that space, um, Google, you're starting to see in the original Amazon Echo, it was kind of the dancing bear phenomena. Uh, what I mean by that is, is I think people were so impressed by the quality of Alexa that not only a few people who are very picky said, yeah, but the musical playback quality is terrible. That's not a good speaker. Um, now that there are a bunch of other players in the market, everyone is stepping up their game and saying, hey, uh, the smart speaker has to actually be a decent speaker. Right, right, exactly. And consequently, people are going, okay, well, if it's going to be a decent speaker, if we're going to design it to be a good speaker, all the other considerations come into play. And how do we measure it? now becomes a consideration. Hey, we have to have some some way in which we can tell at least ourselves what the frequency response, what the distortion, all these other uh, factors are of the speaker. Let's dive into a few of those testing methods just to get a better example for what makes it so difficult to test some of these smart devices. So I know you've previously mentioned closed loop tests versus open loop tests for these devices. Um, which works better, you know, differentiate them for me, and, and why does one work better than the other? And give me an example of a product that you've tested with these methods and what the net result was. Sure. So closed loop versus open loop is this question of can we inject the test signal into the device and simultaneously measure it? So does the device have, and, and that's a classic speaker. A classic speaker has a pair of terminals on it. You inject uh, an audio signal into it, and it's immediately converted into air pressure that you can capture with a measurement microphone. So that's closed loop. And open loop, in the case of a smart speaker, and let's be very specific about talking about the playback path of a smart speaker, is we on most modern smart speakers, we don't have that facility. We don't have a physical path to inject a test signal. 
but we can store a test signal, say, on the cloud and say, hey, Alexa, please play test signal number one from my test signals playlist. Um, there's some variables, but fundamentally for a given device, they should give you the same result. Now, the biggest variable is frankly convenience. Uh, and, and convenience does have some tangible things. With um, closed loop, it's easy to change the test signal. It's easy to do different experiments. And what it ultimately translates to is it's easy to do a lot of tests that sort of fully characterize the, um, I'll say, operational envelope of the speaker. So you can test the speaker from low frequency to high frequency, from small signals to large signals. With open loop, Practically speaking, you have to create the test signal offline, add it to some online music service, something that provides you a facility to play back the signal. So maybe you have to add it to your iTunes library and sync with iCloud, but you, you go through some process to get it into the sky. Uh, and then you have to command your device to play it back and capture that that response. So it's uh, measurement wise, you can definitely get the same measurements. But now what happens is that lack of convenience, it means, well, do you do, do you fully exercise the device or is it sufficiently inconvenient to upload potentially tens to hundreds of test signals and get them to play back that you aren't quite as thorough? Uh, in your tests. Do the designers of these products know that when, you know, they're they're putting this together that if they create a product that is more difficult to test on an open loop that the people that are testing it are going to be less thorough or at least less motivated to sit there and and test every signal? So you definitely see some differences in the attitudes and policies of uh, different manufacturers. Some companies have very intense, very quality-oriented product development processes. And some companies have a different focus. Um, the companies that have a really are very quality-oriented, typically what they will do is internally, they will create some tools to facilitate that. Those tools will never be published. They're not publicly available, um, but they'll provide essentially some debug paths so that in their own testing facilities, they can do closed loop tests, even if publicly it will only be available uh, open loop via some cloud service. Other companies, frankly, they don't have the same orientation. And so, yeah, the testing is going to be less thorough. Um, and I think, frankly, you see that that you can follow the expression backwards. I mean, I think, uh, you know, somebody who's knowledgeable about the market can can see, well, OK, which companies in, in the marketplace pride themselves on having high quality products and and which companies in the marketplace are, uh, you know, the product quality is not the main selling point of 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 their business. 
So Daniel, last thing I wanted to bring up is when you look at smart technology today, the general trend is towards open source technology. I think a lot of designers and manufacturers are seeing the value of making their products as accessible as possible, though you still see a lot that are black box as well because the companies pride themselves in you know, locking down the customer for all aspects of the product and feeling confident enough to deliver on every single aspect of it from the user interface to the app to the product itself to its, uh, you know, to the complete offerings for a smart home or smart business, whatever it might be. Um, but I don't think we've really explored the testing of that on this podcast. And really, I haven't seen a lot talk about does open source versus black box solutions affect the testing of these products, especially when we're looking at audio products. So uh, fill in our audience a little bit. Do you see a distinction there? Um, is one easier to test than the other? And if you had it your way, which kind of product would you lean more towards? It definitely affects the testing. And and the way it affects the testing is, is a question of the testing for who. If you have a closed source product, if you have a black box or a walled garden, the only person who's ever going to be able to measure that product uh, is the manufacturer. And whether they do or not is a separate issue, but say consumer reports, I don't know actually if they have or if they would, but if consumer reports ever wanted to do an evaluation uh, of smart speakers, the closed source products would be incrementally more difficult to frankly, potentially impossible to test. If you have, I'll use the example of an Android phone, one of the things that's nice about Android is you can write an app for it and you don't necessarily have to have it approved by an app store. So you can create, and, and this is something Audio Precision has done, we've created an Android app to facilitate the audio testing of a smartphone. And similarly for, say, a smart speaker that was based on Android in one way, shape, or form, it's potential that a third party could create uh, an app or in the Alexa terminology, a skill that would facilitate the audio testing of that device and, and make it possible and, and quite likely convenient. So, um, and that is, I think, something pretty important important from a consumer perspective because one of the things that we're heading towards with these smart devices and the testing challenges they present is um, if the only person who can test it is the manufacturer, then what? Where, how are you going to make some third-party evaluation of you know, the audio quality of these devices? Is this smart speaker better than that smart speaker? Um, and, and I, I, you know, that's understanding that I've seen people who, you know, will say, well, I asked it to play back the same song and I listened to the song and, you know, here's my, here's my take on it that, but there's so many variables in that sort of testing that I, you know, seriously question whether it has any value, um, to a consumer. Well, Daniel, I feel like we could continue to unpack this forever um there's just so much more left to explore so i think we're gonna have to bring you on for a second episode to chat more about the testing process and best practices for smart devices especially smart devices with an audio component but till then i really want to thank you for joining us on the pro av podcast and giving us your insight into this really specific but important part of the av industry thank you dan i'm looking forward to it 
And thank you everyone for listening to today's episode. And if you like what you heard and would like to listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. And make sure to leave a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.